Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke, and today's guest is Robert Christopher Coppice. He is a scientist who has studied near-death experiences for decades and is also the author of Impressions of Near-Death Experiences, which features hundreds of quotes from the experiences themselves, which is what we'll be talking about today. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be with you. Excellent. Now, how did you find yourself on this path, studying near-death experiences, or NDEs, as many call them? Okay. I was raised Catholic, Roman Catholic, and that was with Helen Purgatory. And I never liked those stories. And I, I felt that it's not the right way. It was not correct. Or so something like that in, inside myself. And then I read the book from Raymond Moody. I was somewhere in my 20s. And, and in the book, there was a woman telling about her NDE. And in her NDE, she had a life review. And in the life review, she said, I was not judged a bit. There was no judgment. And it was perfectly well what I did, even the bad things that I did. So, and then I thought, this is correct. And that's where it, it attracted my attention. And that's what it started at all. I couldn't agree more. I thought the same thing. I also was raised as a Catholic in the Northeast, and I thought everyone went to church and went to CCD after school. And when I, when we were presented with the idea of heaven and hell, it was much more like a fear-based thing than yeah. even as kids that we thought it would be. And we would talk amongst ourselves like, do we really go to hell for bad? It didn't make any sense at all. In your research, because you've interviewed quite a few of the experiencers, as we call them, can anyone have an NDE or is it limited to certain types? What did you find? Well, what I found is that anyone can have an NDE. It doesn't matter who you are, all sorts of people from all kinds of walks of life. You find them in any country in any religion, women, men, rich, poor, any color, you name them, black, white, yellow, red, green. There are examples for every sort of person on earth that has an NDE. There have been so many NDEs. I think about four or 5% of the people have had such an experience. So that's a lot. It's millions in the United States. It is millions. I too started reading about near-death experiences when I was in my 20s. I actually looked up the number of documented cases by IANS, I yeah, think, which I'm yeah. sure you're very familiar with. And even back then, it was here in the States, the number of cases was uh, almost a million. It's 900,000 something. And I thought that was pretty staggering. I think it's more. It's much more. Oh, it's much more now, but this is... 30 years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's been quite a few. It seems to me like there doesn't have to be like a certain set of circumstances for this to happen. Can it happen at any time? Or are there things that stimulate or increase the chances of this actually happening? That's an interesting question. You know, many people think that near-death experiences can only happen when you're very close to death with an accident or like a cardiac arrest or something like that. But that's many cases. Yeah, that's true. But there are also many cases of people who had a, a downturn in their life, a psychological crisis, a very severe one. And they have reported, many of those have reported similar experiences. And there are also people who have meditated very deeply or prayed very deeply. They have NDEs, but also they sometimes they report NDEs too. And even spontaneously. There are a few cases that I came across and I, I researched them 
and uh, tend to believe that these people have had such an experience spontaneously. I'm hearing that more and more as well. When you mentioned how most people are inclined to believe NDEs happen when we are near death, which can happen, that reminds me of a hospital or a hospice setting where the person that's about to cross over starts recognizing people that have passed on that are, seem to be talking yeah. to them. Does your research cross over into that where some of the experiencers did actually witness that happening or is that just another kettle of fish altogether? Something like that. It's, those are deathbed visions and they are very interesting. They sort of seem to be similar. Sometimes even people sitting next to the bed experience a shared death experience. So they go with them up to a certain point and they are told, no, you cannot go further. You should go back again. But those are very interesting, but those are not the ones that I looked at. It's really the near-death experiences. But the shared death experience that goes into a certain place where they're able to see spirits or connect with them? Well, there are two examples of those in my book because I, th I thought they are very interesting to just mention as well. And one of them had some kind of, how do you say that, proof that it's real to it. Because in my book, I also have a chapter on critical observations. So those are verifiable out-of-body experiences to prove with circumstantial evidence that NDEs are real. And one of those examples was that Two people separately went uh, up in, in this wonderful area, this wonderful other place, together with the child that was uh, dying. And uh, they didn't know from each other that they went with this child to a certain point and had to return again. But after a number of years, they, they spoke to each other again, and they found out that they both had the same experience. This is in your book. It's in my book, yeah. Do you remember what their names were or what that section was? It's in the, the chapter on vertical observations. I can't re recall from this moment what the, the title is. Yeah. That's like someone going to two different mediums who don't know each other and they tell them the same exact thing. They were sitting beside the bed and they had the same experience, exactly the same experience, but they didn't talk about it after the experience because they thought... I'm going crazy. This I can't tell these people that I have had such a nice experience where this little child has died and the whole family is sitting there and being sad and I'm here having this happy experience. So after all these years, after 10 years, I don't know how long that was, they spoke to each other and then they found out that they had the same experience and they were silent. So speaking of proof, is there really any scientific proof? Not that I think we need that. We've had, as I mentioned before, there's a body of documented experiences, which has to be in the millions by now. But is there any scientific research that kind of proves this without a doubt, or are we not quite there yet? Well, it's difficult to research this in a way that the scientists allow or accept it. There was wonderful research done in the Netherlands, prospective research that means that you can repeat it again. I mean, you can't kill someone not far enough and then bring them back again and have them recall their NDE. That's unethical. So that's not the repeatable study that I'm talking about. A study done in hospitals in the Netherlands during 13 years where they asked everyone who was brought into the hospital with a cardiac arrest, did you have any recollection of 
when you were out and 344 people were in the program and about 62 people had recollection and they had an NDE. Then you have two sets of people, people with an NDE and people without an NDE, but having the same cause like a cardiac arrest. And then you can see if there's differences between these groups. And there were no differences. Like both of them had a lack of oxygen. Both of them had a dying brain that perhaps gave off substances that could cause these NDEs. But that's not, those are not the causes. So that's real good research that was repeated in the United States and in Britain. And then there is, of course, the vertical observations, not real scientific work, but it's very important because it gives you circumstantial evidence that NDEs are real, that at least it is real that your consciousness can be outside of your body, doesn't need your body. Out-of-body experiences are, I think, are part of that. That brings to mind several instances written by people that are very famous, which we'll probably get to that later. But have you had direct experience in your interviews with people that have flatlined and have basically been able to observe the room around them or even in other rooms or anything like that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few examples of those in my book as well. Like from Mikaela, that's a woman in the, in the United States who had a car accident on the highway somewhere. She was flown in with a helicopter to the hospital. So she was unconscious. She had her NDE during her flight into the hospital and she saw her future. And in her future, she saw that she would have grandchildren, but she was dead then. So she pleaded with, she said it was God to let her live, to experience that. So the next moment she was hovering in her room in the hospital and she could go anywhere and her body was laying on the bed, but she could go to the cafeteria where her parents were sitting with the grandparents. And the father was so nervous, he said, I need a smoke. So he went out and wanted to have a smoke. And then the two grandmothers who were there, they never smoked and would never smoke. They said, we need a smoke too. We'll go with you. And she told that story later when she was fine, when she was recovered. And her parents never believed her until she told that part of what she saw. Because that's odd that, that these grandmothers would smoke, whereas they never did that. And she saw it. She couldn't have seen it from the place where her body was. And there are hundreds of these stories, and they are collected in a book also published by Ions, The Self Does Not Die. It's a very interesting book with so many of these ex examples. What I think is interesting about that is that the brain waves are non-existent. They're brain dead. So yes. there's really no way they could have imagined that. Yeah. How else could they basically been able to tell in your instance where people walked outside, they said certain things, they went into certain places, how else could they know that? Yeah, yeah, that, and that's the idea. Yeah, that's really, really incredible. There's a woman; she was an IANS member. I think she still is. She's in Santa Barbara, and she had a similar experience where she went into the hospital for a procedure. It went sideways. She flatlined and was able to see the doctors and everyone, the surgeons working in the room and going into other rooms and being able to remember what people said. At the time, this is in the 80s, 
no one believed her. But as she went back to the hospital years later, one of the neurosurgeons actually admitted, yes, Barbara, you had a near-death experience, but I was not able to say that out loud because of it might upset yeah. my staff or some of the other patients. Or would damage the career of the doctor, something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, they said, no, 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 you're imagining things. And I think she said something to the effect of, I did, I flatlined, right? So how could I have imagined it? I've also noticed whenever I bring this up around certain religious types, they still don't really want to admit it. I know what I know. I believe what I believe. Don't confuse me with the facts type of thing. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, religious people are, well, a little bit difficult in that sense. They are nice, but they are hooked up to their belief. And sometimes some people do allow it, but others don't. And it, I don't know why. It's, it's easy to just see the facts and live with them because it gives you hope. They are wonderful facts. It gives such nice hope for your life. That consciousness does survive the death of the brain. That if you can get your head around that, everything else seems to be 5% easier. Yeah, absolutely. There's things that I hear on this podcast that are pretty out there. But what do I know? I'm just a guy with a lot of questions. So I just let them talk and tell their story. But the near-death experiences are probably the most tangible thing that can give credence to the theory that consciousness does survive death of the brain. When you connect that with mediumship readings or even past life experiences, you start to think, oh, yeah, well, I guess it is possible. But like you said, a lot of us are conditioned from going to church and so forth at a young age that that becomes an obstacle later on for some of us. Yeah, but there are still people that go to church and allow for this in their thinking. So it's what you want to allow. It's all up to yourself. What other examples can you give us that are very noteworthy that we need to know about? Oh, there are a few wonderful examples. Like one example is a woman who had her near-death experience. And in her near-death experience, she knows everything. She sees everything. That's what many and the ears say. Once you're there in this other world, you know everything. Every piece of knowledge is there for you. You can just tap into it and you have all the knowledge. And it's so easy. She said, I don't understand why I didn't see that being in my body on earth. It's so easy. Everything is easy. And she was told she had to go back to her body. And she wanted to go back to her body because she had a child to look after. And she thought, I want to take with me all that knowledge and i know that's not possible so i will remember just one sentence that says it all that gives the whole thing away that that tells you what it's real and that sentence is all is everything and everything is one so all is everything and everything is one she says everything is one we are so connected with each and every one of us also the people you don't like I mean, yeah, just imagine everyone has someone you don't like. It could be a politician or someone around the corner or in your family. Also, that person is connected very, very closely to you, to everyone. It's kind of hard to get my head around that I'm connected to a politician that I do not like <laughs> at yeah. all. That's earthly thinking and because it, you need to have an other level, which we don't have. I don't have it. You don't have it. We don't have that level yet. But once we have that, we see through everything and it's so easy. 
And it makes that we are all connected. That's also what I try to say to people. If we are so connected, if we are even one, there are end years that say that we are one, then life is a zero-sum game. It means that if I do something to you, I actually do it to myself because I do it to the whole thing. You can't just do something and walk away thinking, well, that's it. I don't feel anything. No, you will. You feel it. Not now, perhaps, but once you're dead, you will feel exactly what that is. Do you have examples of the life review? Oh, yes. Really interesting, where apparently we get to feel what we did to other people from their point of view, which can be good or maybe not so good. What are your experiences? Your life reviews are really the things that are life-changing. The whole NDE is life-changer, but if someone had a life review, it really does it. Exactly what you say. You feel what you did to the other as if you are that other. You become the receiver. And I have a very nice example of that, of a woman that I spoke in the Netherlands. She was uh, small just after World War II, and there was nothing in the Netherlands. We were a war-torn country with, well, we didn't have any luxury then. And she was given from her mother a few sweets to share with friends in school, which she did. And then later in life, she had her NDE. And in her NDE, she had her life review. And she saw that particular moment in time where she shared the sweets with the, the little schoolgirls. She felt it as if she was the schoolgirl. And that was astonishing to her because it, she felt it as if she was thought so valuable to get these sweets. And she also felt that it was not only the school friend, but it went also to the mother and beyond that. So there is a ripple effect in everything you do. If you do something, it will ripple through the whole world. And the same schoolgirl, she said, the same end year said, she saw another episode of her life in school. There was another school friend who had lice, these little crawling monsters in your hair, and there were no shampoos at the time. This girl asked her to help her with these lies to get them rid of them. And then she did it with a lot of fuss. So the end of the year made a lot of fuss about it. And then she had her life review and she saw what that did to the schoolgirl. She was the schoolgirl and she felt as if what she did was a stab in her heart. And that was in itself was horrible. But the most horrible thing is horrible to feel what it is you did to someone else as if you are the receiver. But the most horrible thing was that I saw that there were options. I had different choices. I could have made a different choice that would have brought more love into the world. And that I missed out on that choice. That was really terrible. That's what she said. And I think that's such a nice story. I think that element of the near-death experience is probably as important as anything else because when you realize that you're going to feel what you made other people feel, it puts a premium on maintaining good behavior and being more of a loving person as, yes. you know, wishy-washy or weak as that may sound to some people. I'd rather feel what making someone else feels good feels like to me as a receiver rather than if I treated someone bad. But I guess for some people, they're just going to have to wait till that day comes. Yeah. 
right? That's true. I mean, Damien Brinkley is a, a guy who he said of himself that he was a terrible guy. And he was in countless fights in school and he stole bikes. And then later on, he was part of an American organization that went abroad, killing off adversaries of the United States government. And he said, I killed many people. And one time I blew up a hotel with more than 50 people in it just to take out one. Now, in his life review, he saw what he did. He saw every kill. He was, as he said, I became the receiver of every one of my kills. And not only the people that I killed, but also the women that were left behind and the children of these people that I killed off. I felt their sorrow and their pain. And that goes deep. And nevertheless, he was loved unconditionally. That's the interesting thing. That's there for everyone. Despite his bad deeds, that might be why some religious types tend to say things like God loves everyone. God meaning source or source energy or whatever you want to call it. How about instances where ND experiencers report like heightened psychic activity? For instance, there's a man I interviewed a while back. He actually had two near-death experiences, but even after the first one, he noticed afterward he had mediumship-type experiences, which he did not want. I've noticed that with several people. Have you interviewed people that have said the same thing? Yeah, those are some of the after effects that can occur. I mean, mediumship is something that I hear often. People get more intuitive, more more sensitive. They need less medicine. They are light and sounds can be very harsh to them. They don't like that so much. But mediumship qualities, yes, there, there is a wonderful book written by a woman who saw the future even and no one believed her. So what she did was she would send mails to herself that carry a timestamp and then she would write down what she saw. And then later she could say, well, I saw the plane ditching in the Hudson River in New York. And I see my timestamp is before the event and things like that. So there's many people that, that say these stories. And it's not for everyone as deep as this one. But I hear that often. And I can see why you seem to think that the experiencers, people that have had the NDEs, are the best tutors in life. Yes. We can learn a lot from them especially if we compare what we can learn from them and other experiences as opposed to a a musty old religious textbook, which I won't name because it's in every religion, not just one. But I am definitely aligned with that thought. What do you think are the main takeaways for the NDEs for us to know? That's a belief that I really carry. It's that if people really start to believe that NDEs are real, when they see veridical observation, when they understand veridical observations, that your consciousness can be outside of your body, that the rest of the stories are real, then they they will start looking what are the messages in NDEs. And in my book, I leave it up to people to come to their own conclusion. But if you'd ask me, the two main messages are unconditional love. That's the main part of all these NDEs. And also oneness. I mean, we are all one. We are in this together. Uh, We are not separate. Uh, If I do something to you, I do it to myself, just as we spoke before. And I think that if people really understand 
that NDEs and these messages are important, then maybe they will, well, not maybe, I'm sure people will change their life. They will be different towards each other, but also towards nature. And we need that. I believe that it's going to happen eventually. It will take some time, but I think there's a good future for humanity. Yeah, I'm sure about that. Very good points. And is there any crossover in your research and in your interviews with NDEs going into past lives, anything like that? The past lives, reincarnation and stuff like that. There are people that say, I've seen past lives. Yes. There's also a number of NDEs that said, well, it doesn't resonate with me. Doesn't ring a bell. I didn't see it. I don't think it is there. And interestingly, the percentage of people who have had an NDE that believe in reincarnation is more or less similar to the general public. So it's not that NDEers will give you some evidence that reincarnation exists. And in my own view, that's my personal view, is that if we are all one, then actually who is leading all these lives that are on Earth, that have been on Earth, that's the supreme one or god or how do you want to call it there's one end year said no we don't reincarnate god reincarnates and i thought that was a wonderful way of saying it we don't reincarnate god reincarnates yes but if we are all one isn't that kind of saying the same thing that's the same thing yeah yeah if you want to see it like this i also led the life of cleopatra i should know it not here but once I'm united with the one, when I'm dead, when I re reunite with the one, then I know everything about Cleopatra because the one has been Cleopatra and all the other people. Is that an example or is that actually one of your past life memories? This is just my example. It's a thought. Yeah. If it was, that's one critical point I would have missed. The reason I bring that up is because I think you've had cases where you've interviewed people and they were told why they were here on earth, which kind of implies you have more than one life. In other words, they were maybe told by some being that they had a reason to be here. Yeah. You know, some people want to know and they ask for it and they get an answer. And some people don't ask for it, but they get it as a bonus. It's, it differs. Some people say it is to express love. And other people say it's just a game. On the other side, everything is honky-dory. Everything is nice. This earth is created for us with limitations to express your divinity. So they say that we are all divine. We just need to express our divinity. There's a very nice story I always want to tell of a, a little girl, Christina. She was eight years old when she was abducted by two men and assaulted. And she was rescued, of course, otherwise she can't tell the story. And she had her NDE. And in her NDE, she said, I saw this gray man and it looked like Santa Claus, but it was not Santa Claus, but it, it must have been God. It was God. And I had a conversation with God and God said, you have to go back again to earth, to your body. You have to live your life. And it's very easy. I'll give you the recipe for living your life. It's there's only four ingredients. And God then gave the four ingredients to her. And those were love, be loved, just be, and experience life. The four ingredients. Yeah, love, be loved, just be, 
and experience life. You know, the first two are you have to do something for it. Even receiving love, you need to act. But for the latter two, it's, it gives you the impression that it's just do, just be here. And that's enough. Experience life. That's another thing. And the ears say it's a gift. We need to enjoy the gift, even if you have so many problems, even if you have a life filled with problems, with financial problems, psychological problems. You mentioned it. Even then, it is a gift. It's not something I understand. I don't have these experiences with financial problems and stuff like that. Other people do. People are in war-torn countries as, as we speak. As we speak, indeed. Yeah. But nevertheless, I only repeat what Andy Ears say. They say life is a gift. Try to enjoy it, even if you are in the, in the biggest hole in your life. Because I've had other experiences tell me that when they, they plan the life, when they're in the in-between life place or stage or whatever you want to call it, they choose an experience because even if it's unpleasant, it's going to help them and their soul group learn from it. That's why I ask questions about crossover from NDEs to past lives to in-between lives and so forth. Because when someone starts to really connect the dots, and the NDE is a very big component of that, then a lot of this starts to make sense. It's not just a bunch of BS someone just made up. No, that's true. There are stories about people who had opportunity to choose experiences. There's Betty Guaidano. She is uh, uh, in IONS. Uh, she has a podcast there. She could choose before she went to her body to live her life. And she chose all these terrible things to experience. But she thought, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to, to Earth. I'm going to live. And she was excited. And she chose all these terrible things she wanted to experience. It's a choice. It's like casting a movie almost. That's what I said. It's like a game. It's Sometimes it's like God or the Supreme One wants to go to the movies. That's what I said in my book. God went to the movies and, and the movies is where we are all in. We, you're doing part of it and I'm doing part of it and all the listeners do parts in it. Yeah, I've heard that more than once. Actually, I heard <laughs> yeah. that about an hour ago. And I asked this one woman uh, what it was like because she had several past life memories. She said that life here on Earth is like a movie. Yeah. And when you're beyond the veil in the other space, that's actually more real than it is here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It is more real there. That's something that they say more often. This is just a, a, a mere shadow of what the real thing is. And the real thing is wonderful for everyone. It's, it's there for everyone, no exceptions. As hard as that is to believe, it's something I hear over and over again. So God went to the movies. I think we're going to stop there. But I know I can't possibly top that. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Amazing information. In the meantime, how can our listeners find you online? I have a website. It's called www.bobcopus. And people can ask questions there. I will always answer. And on Instagram, it's also Bob Copus. Excellent. I will put that in the show notes and the transcript as well. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. For more info, you can go to closertovenus.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.